listening for like for over 40 years, huh? I mean, or at least yeah. a fan. Yeah, I've been actively studying and researching the field since 1980. And yeah. I've been in the field investigating since 1996, 97. So I've been at this a while. So where do you stand on it? Are you all in that there definitely is something? Or do you think probably or you're not sure? I'm convinced that people are seeing something. And I've had my own experiences and encounters with something out there that I can't explain, I can't identify. I've never seen a creature, so I can't say that they truly are real. But I know enough credible people that have claimed they've seen one and they have no reason to make it up or lie about it. So, yeah, I think there is something to this phenomenon. Uh, this phenomenon is not just a, a recent phenomenon. This is going back hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. And there's a very deep, rich history about the animal or the creature. And there's a lot of information out there if you take the time to, to really look into it. It's not just a phenomenon that takes place in one specific part of the, the world. It's a global phenomenon. Every country has legend stories, tales, factual information out there about this creature, people having sightings and encounters. So there's something to the phenomenon, what it is at this point. It's all conjecture and all speculation. What made you start to search Bigfoot? Well, as I said, I've been looking into this since 1980. I was a, a young boy back then and a fan of monster movies, like Godzilla movies, King Kong movies, those sorts of movies. And I came across two films back in the uh, late 1970s, early 1980, that really inspired me to, to kind of look into the phenomenon to see if it was real. And just the possibility of a monster being real really enthralled me. So I began reading on the subject and watching anything I could on TV that came on, any news specials or documentaries that were on, uh, films that came out, and just started corresponding with other researchers across the country. Fortunately, I had uh, a gentleman who's been my mentor for over 40 years. He was doing UFO and Bigfoot research here in the state of Pennsylvania, where I'm from. And I became fast friends with him at the age of 13 and began to really follow his work and study his work and to the point where we actually investigate cases together now. So uh, I've been wow. involved with this for a long, long time. And my interest was really spurred by a living, breathing monster actually existing. Yeah. Now, Joe, I went to Foxwoods last night with uh, the family because they had Kids Week. And uh, Bigfoot is such a big piece of pop culture now that this gift shop just had random stuff. And I sent Jedi a picture. They had a Bigfoot magnet just for no reason. I mean, you see Bigfoot everywhere you go. And I, I have a whole list of things in pop culture that I'll get to later. But still, one of the funniest things, Joe, do you know how much it costs for a 30 second Super Bowl spot? Yeah, it's like three million it's like 6.5 million dollars and whoa do you even laugh at any of those commercials because you think you and far money? between <laughs> yeah right but still the funniest commercials to this day the only ones i literally belly laugh at is uh play it jack link's beef jerky presents messing with sasquatch water's great bro that was so fun that was awesome <laughs> Jack Link's jerky. Feed your wild side. <laughs> Those messing with Sasquatch commercials are hilarious because it is all different and they it's like have a great sense of humor on it. They're hilarious. That was great.
Greetings, Morpses, Crimes, Conspiracies, and Beyond with Jedi and Todd. When you go for a hike, do you feel like you're being watched? Has camping in the woods got you spooked because you think something is out there but you don't know what it is? A gigantic, hairy, ape-like creature? Is it Bigfoot? Our guest today is all-around nice guy who over for 42 years of his life has been dedicated to questionable hobbies. He is the executive director of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society and researcher of all things paranormal. Eric Altman, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Eric. This is a cool one because I think between for Jedi me. and myself, I'm more of the skeptic, but when it comes to Bigfoot, I think Jedi is more skeptical. I'm kind of a believer, and Joe, what do you kind of believe in this stuff? I 100% believe in this. Yeah, so Jedi, before we talk to Eric, you want to tell us a little bit about Bigfoot in case people have been living under a rock? Yeah, I have been, apparently. There's so much information about Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, Bigfoot is the Anglo version of Sasquatch, which is also the Western version of what the Native Americans called Sasquatch a.k.a. Wild Man of the Mountains. And according to the Lakota Indians, they refer to Bigfoot as Chiatanka. I hope I'm saying that correctly, which means big, great elder brother. This Bigfoot is described as a humanoid that can be anywhere from 7 to 12 feet, hairy all over their body with broad shoulders, no neck, and long arms, and with a recorded foot size of 24 inches. Is that correct, Eric? <laughs> Did I do good? <laughs> Not bad, not bad. Um, yeah, the, the foot size, the, the 24 inches is a, a very rare extreme case. Um, usually the average foot size is between 15 to 17 inches. When you go into the uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, the very first thing you see is Bob Lanier's size 23 shoe, and it's completely insane. You can't believe someone has feet that big. So you're also into all sorts of cryptozoology, right? Yes, that's correct. So you founded the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society in what, 1998? Actually, I was one of the founding members. The group was actually founded by Steve Anderson and Henry Benton back in 1998. And I came on board in 1999. And due to personal reasons, Steve decided to disband the group. And he offered me the opportunity to take over in 2000, which I said, reluctantly said, sure, I'll give it a shot because I had never run a, an organization or a group. And I took over and I basically have been running the group for, gosh, about 15 to 20 years now. So been a long time. That's cool. Now, have you ever been to the Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine? No, I, I know Lauren Coleman well. I, unfortunately, I've never been to Maine to visit it, but I know Lauren and I've seen the pictures and the videos and stuff. Hopefully one day I'll be able to make it up there, but I haven't been there yet. Yeah, I'm in Massachusetts. Joe's in uh, Joe's in Connecticut. Now, Joe, we live in places where Bigfoot sightings are very, very rare. Why do you think Wait, that is? I don't yeah. know. That's surprising because we do have a lot of wooded area in this area, and I would think it would be a good place for a good sighting, especially between where you and I live, Todd, in yeah. northwestern, northeastern Connecticut. There's a lot. There's a lot of um, woods. So. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, although I don't know, you know, maybe temperature wise, this might not be, um, I don't know. Cause they, it seems like the North, like they like to be in, in colder areas in secluded areas near rivers where I think there's more seclusion, you know what I mean? As opposed to where there would be human establishments. And I think with where we are, I think there's, it's too congested. I think if you're looking at Alaska or the, the North Pacific, uh, Northwest Pacific, I think there's just there's a lot more 
streams and mountains and, and, and places where something like this could exist. Yeah, and when I look up the places that have the most sightings, you get Washington seems to always be number one, but then you get California, Ohio, Illinois. Pennsylvania's up there, right, Eric? Yeah, it depends on which database you refer to. Pennsylvania's been called the third most active state for sightings. We usually fall within at least the top 10 of states. And and just to, to make you guys aware, Massachusetts does have its fair share of Bigfoot sightings, especially in the Bridgewater Triangle over near the Hockamock Swamp. Oh, um, There's been consistent sightings in that area for years. So there are sightings up in all throughout the Northeast, uh, New York, Connecticut, Vermont, Rhode Island, uh, Maine. So th- there's a lot of sightings up in the Northeastern part of the United States. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with Aaron? With Aaron? Is it Aaron Cadu, the Bridgewater Triangle? He Yeah. He, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm friendly with him. I talk, chat with him sometimes. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. There, the Bridgewater Triangle. That's kind of there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the, those towns around there. Yep. Is it true that like three in ten Americans think Bigfoot is real? Is that true? I, I don't know what the statistic is. The majority of Americans, the majority of the public, don't believe that Bigfoot exists. But with as we talked off the air before we started recording, Bigfoot has really picked up steam as far as in the pop culture, mainstream media, the public belief system, because of mainstream media, everybody wants to be a Bigfoot researcher, get out there and look for Bigfoot. It's become so popular now that you can't swing a dead cat without hitting someone who's a fan of Bigfoot. Before social media, I would say it would probably be maybe two people believed in Bigfoot, but now I think the number's a lot higher than they used to be. It's just, it's an overwhelmingly popular trend right now. Now, Joe, how he said this is trendy now, what is this kind of in line with that we always talk about that's picked up in the last 10 years? The the flat earthers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, again, right. I mean, this is just the explosion of there's so much more out there. I can't even tell you. And again, having not knowing what episode is going to be just in the last few days, I, I watched a video about Bigfoot. That kind of stuff is always out there. And again, uh, before we started recording, Todd, I was telling Eric, my thought is some sort of hybrid human. I think whether it be a Neanderthal or some other human species, I don't see why it's possible they couldn't still exist. So now when people think of like a sighting of Bigfoot or a picture or like a video of them, I think everyone thinks of the video. Um, you want to pull that on? It's a Patterson Gimlet shot. It's like the most famous one. Eric, you're obviously familiar with this one. I think this is the one, if you see something on TV, they talk about Bigfoot. They always go to this shot, especially at the end when it goes kind of slow motion. I mean, that looks like a per- that right there. Right. What do you think of that? That was in the late 60s, right in California? October 20th, 1967, filmed by Roger Patterson, who was accompanied by Bob Gimlin. The film footage is controversial. It's never been proven that it's someone in a suit. And there have been recent revelations to the film where they've released it in almost ultra 4K, where you can physically see muscles. You can see things moving in the body that would move if an animal were like that, to walk upright. So there's a lot more people becoming convinced that this is the real thing. I still sit on the fence about it. I I don't know if it truly is or not. There's a few people that have come forward over the last couple of decades that have claimed they've been the person in the suit, but no one's been able to replicate the video. No one's been able to produce the costume. So that's all speculatory. 
no one's been able to, to debunk that it's a, a fake video and no one's been able to prove it's a real video. But the further we get with technology and advancement and videography and, and being able to enhance and clear up film footage, this has come out as what was released probably last year. It was one of the most astonishing cleaned up versions of the film that I've seen. And it really shows a minuscule detail of the animal that really makes me think that could be something to it. Yeah. So for people listening, uh, YouTube, the Patterson Gimlet video. Now, I saw that there was like a lawsuit to see who got ownership of that video. Is someone making money off that or something? Or When it first came out back in the ni- 1967, it was taken all around the country by Roger Patterson to show the film. And he didn't make much money off of it. Maybe a, a couple thousand dollars here and there. But he didn't make a lot of right. money. And then there were actually two or three copies, I believe, that were created off the original. Pat Patterson owns the original. And there were some arguments between her and a couple other Bigfoot researchers. Um, Rene DeHinden claimed he owned rights to it, and he was suing for his share of the rights. It's become to the point now where TV shows, if they want to use that clip, they have to get permission. They have to pay a fee to use it. So there's a little bit of money being made off of it, but not in the range you'd think it'd be worth taking to court and suing people over. There's not millions and millions of dollars being made off of this film, more like thousands of dollars being made off of this film. And that's only when it's used in TV documentaries or news shows or whatever, you know, shown in the public eye. I think there's only like one or two pictures from the actual film itself that's considered public domain that can be used without paying for it. So, yeah, you have that. Now, Jedi, are you 100% no on Bigfoot? Are you kind of like open to a possibility? I am open to a possibility, but mostly no. <laughs> well, because the obvious thing is you get like 2,000 sightings of Washington, 1,000 hair, 1,000 hair. And like out of all those, there isn't one like great video. You know what I mean? No, but so what about bones? You know, what about bodies or Jedi? Decay, right? Jedi, let me ask you a question. What do you think about Bill Cosby? Did you think? with 58 rape accusations that he did it or he didn't. I think when you're talking about literally hundreds of people are seeing something similar, let's say 80% are full of crap. That's still a lot of people that are seeing something. And as Eric said, a lot of the times it's some trailer park lunatic, you know, was out fishing, (laughs) drinking the moonshine and he saw a bear and he thought it was some kind of gorilla. Oftentimes, though, this is this is legitimate people, credentialed people who, like Eric said, have no reason to lie or make this up. So how do you explain that? I think, for one, I believe the women <laughs> regretting the women. Yeah. And number two, uh, believing in Bigfoot is not a crime. You know, people want to believe in something. They want they want to believe. I'm sure in their hearts of hearts, they truly believe that they saw Bigfoot or something like Bigfoot. But I want more evidence than just I want some kind of uh, remnant of the Bigfoot itself. Nobody has even collected anything. I, I don't think I, I'm not sure, Eric, if you could give more information if they found any like a, like their home site or dwelling or whatever You're looking or for a nest their, and some right exactly so something some kind of evidence or bones you know lay it on her eric what do you <laughs> well there is believe it or not there is significant evidence out there to warrant further oh, studies gosh. from the scientific community 
There are footprints that have been discovered all over the globe that uh, display what's called dermal ridges. And if you look at your hand, we have dermal ridges on our hands. We have dermal ridges on our feet. So the tracks that are being found are showing that it's made by a living foot. So we know there's something out there leaving huge human-like footprints. And it's not necessarily basketball players with size 23, 24 inch shoes. Uh, they're being discovered in places where people with bare feet normally would not walk. So that's that's one of the pieces of evidence. Another piece of evidence is, yes, there are nesting areas being found and documented. There are hair samples being collected, blood samples, fecal samples being collected and tested at this point. Um, some of them are coming back as not matching anything known in the zoological database. The biggest setback we have to getting this creature documented is we don't have a live or dead species. Now, as far as bones go, there have been bones found. Um, and you probably walk through the woods yourself and probably have come across bones in the woods and just discard them as, oh, look, there's deer bones or bear bones. But to find bones of a full intact skeleton in the forest is you have a greater chance of winning the lottery because the ecosystem, nature has a wonderful way of disposing of bodies very, very quickly. And when an animal dies in the forest, it decomposes within 7 to 14 days. It's pulled apart by other animals, other scavengers, small rodents, porcupines. They eat the marrow and the bones, so bones are deteriorated very quickly. So when you're finding bones in the forest, you're finding very, very small pieces of a bone. And if you, in your case, Jedi, if you were walking through the forest and you saw bones laying there, unless you, you were a paleontologist or someone that studied bones that didn't know what that bone was, you'd probably just discard it as being a deer bone and continue walking on by. So unless you're a scientist looking for bones, looking for an anthropologist or an archaeologist, looking for that sort of thing, you probably just discard it and keep walking by like most people do, which is understandable because you don't have that education to properly identify the bones. So in the case of finding bones and people offer this argument to me, what about fossils? Well, fossils take if you're not if you're not familiar with the way a fossil works, it has to be buried in, a, in the, the earth in a situation where it can be preserved and only then preserved for hundreds, if not thousands of years before they dig up an area and they find those bones. Look at the dinosaur bones we're dealing with. Those are thousands, hundreds of thousands, even some millions of years old. And they're finding them in areas that are conducive to create fossils. So you need a very conductive soil that is able to produce bones or fossils. And we're just not finding that, especially areas like the Pacific Northwest, where you get over 100 inches of rainfall. The soil just is not conducive to create fossils. And as you know, the Washington state is the leading state in the United States of Bigfoot sightings. So you would think, sure, we'd find bones or we'd find fossils there, but we just don't because the soil's too acidic, it's too moist, and not conducive for making bones or making fossils from bones. Eric is somebody who watches a lot of videos of lions <laughs> and wild dogs and hyenas. I mean, what you're saying is, I know I'm a weirdo. He's your spirit do. animal, huh, Joe? Oh, I love this. I mean, right within a couple of days, you know, they can take a lion, I mean, uh, like an elephant, eat it like the lion's eat all the good meat and then the hyenas come and start picking and the wild dogs and then there's the worms and the the beetles the dung beetles and stuff and eventually that carcass is gone so eric what i was going to actually ask you was you'd almost have to be tracking a bigfoot and right i mean really be on it if there was any chance of recovering a corpse well i have exactly. a question 
watching all these uh, Bigfoot videos lately. Why is it though, when when these hunters or trackers, they set up cameras and all of the footage is destroyed? How do they know what a camera is, where to look and all this kind of stuff? Well, that's a very good question. And if you're not familiar with bears going after game cameras, do some research on that. You'll find out bears like to rip cameras off the tree and eat them because they can smell the petroleum in the cameras. That's a well-known fact of hunters and outdoorsmen. So any game cameras that are put out, they can either hear the sounds being, the the mechanical sounds being generated from the hum or whatever you want to call it from the uh, mechanical equipment inside, or they can smell the petroleum in the camera and they rip them off the tree and they chew at the cameras to try to get into it. So that's that's well-known amongst outdoorsmen and hunters. Most of these cameras give off uh, an infrared light that triggers the camera to take a picture when something crosses that beam. And many researchers speculate, and it is only speculation, that when a Bigfoot crosses that that IR light, they can actually see that light. So therefore, they're going to avoid staying, you know, coming in front of that camera or, or getting a picture taken. They'll move behind it or, or completely avoid the area altogether because they have such sensitive eyesight that they can see that that camera. But I tend to thinking that the Bigfoot actually can smell the petroleum in the cameras, much like bears do. And that's why a lot of the cameras get destroyed or, or ripped off the trees. So I would say, again, though, you, you know, animals are very territorial. So you'd have to be, you have to set up a camera in a place where a Bigfoot would be living and would generally go. I've watched all sorts of, you know, hunting cameras and you generally see the same coyotes, the same bear. It's, I mean, they're very territorial. It's not like there's a, so I, I think, again, from that standpoint, you'd have to sort of know where you're looking and really target it if you're going to find one, because I, I think they're probably also timid. That's the other thing I think people have to understand is a bear. Bears just eat everything. A bear will take a bite out of a person and, you know, you bang a penny runs away. They're they're not like cold blooded killers. These these are animals. They just want to eat. They get scared of each other. I see lions get chased off by leopards and leopards chased off by lions and hyenas. And again, just to see something that clearly there's a small population, if there is, Eric, yes? Yeah, it's estimated that there's between five and 10,000 of these creatures across the country. And if that's the case, then that would explain why we don't have a body, um, simply because there's not enough animals to find a carcass in the forest every time somebody goes out. And... That's why the, the sightings aren't as high as they are for deer or bear or a common wildlife animal. I mean, there's just not a large population of them. And they're in such small pockets across the country that we only get in Pennsylvania, we only get maybe a couple thousand sightings here or there. And that's people being in the right place at the right time. Do you believe in the Bigfoot version where it's act like an animal or do you believe in the Bigfoot version where the, the stick Indian version where they're like uh, forest spirits and they have magical powers. I don't think they have magical powers. But again, as I said at the beginning, we don't know anything about this thing. There are no experts on this. They're only people who research and try to study and understand it. There's so many different thoughts and speculations about what this animal is. The Native Americans, a lot of the Native Americans believe that this was a spirit being, a protector of the forest. There are people that believe that it's interdimensional and able to move between its dimension and ours flawlessly. Others believe it's an alien extraterrestrial that's brought here from alien ships to kind of live on this planet. There are people that believe it's just an undiscovered primate that hasn't uh, made its way into the scientific category yet. 
So I'm more in the line of thinking this is a flesh and blood animal that does have some attributes that we just don't understand yet. The ability to remain elusive as long as it has, the ability to blend in with its environment so well that it, it appears that it's invisible when in fact it's standing right in front of you. And I think that's attributed to the color of its fur and the way that it can stand still motionlessly for a long period of time and look like a tree or a tree stump. And people just mistake it as a tree and just continue on their way. But I, I think it's a flesh and blood animal that may have some attributes that we just simply don't understand quite yet. According to the United Nations Commission on Human Rights, there's between 100 and 200 tribes that have still not been contacted. And it, it ranges to about 10,000 individual humans who haven't been contacted by anyone else or seen by other people. So again, the idea of that number or less of a creature living out in the middle of nowhere, I don't know how Jedi doesn't find that at least plausible. <laughs> yeah. and, and I do want to say I'm coming yeah. for you girl I do want to say two things about Pennsylvania my dad and I went on a road trip to Kentucky and on the way back we had to go through Pennsylvania I don't know if it was 90 or route 20 or 12 or whatever but Joe you would not have believed how many deer there were dead on the road there was hundreds do you notice oh that a lot God, down there wow. Eric yeah we have several million deer here in Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, a lot of them do get hit by vehicles running across the road, especially in the fall months. That's a rutting season and they're very active. So yeah, I'm not surprised that you, you saw a lot of dead animal on the, the side of the road. There's a lot of bear you won't see so much of. There's a, a huge population of bear, but you won't see them dead on the side of the road as you will the deer. There's yeah. millions and millions of deer in Pennsylvania. Now, Joe, we were talking about the flat earth thing. Now, I said I would love to go to a flat earth conference, even though I don't believe the earth is flat because I think it'd be so much fun. But how about this? The Bigfoot camping adventure. Tell us about that, Eric, because that could be a road trip, Joe. How oh, fun would yeah, that be? Sir. Yeah, that was uh, put together. Well, let me let me take a step back. I've been a, an organizer of conferences on Bigfoot for, gosh, going back to 2001. We would put on a mini conference in Pennsylvania where the enthusiasts and fans and even those who were researching could get together and share ideas and hear from speakers and that sort of thing. And in 2016, I decided to put together this fundraiser for local charities in our area where people and being there's such a huge interest in Bigfoot, having people come in, spend a weekend with us, camp with us, hear from researchers who are talking about the subject take part in workshops, learning how to make plaster casts, learning how to use equipment, learning proper research techniques, going out in the woods with us on uh, nighttime investigations or night hikes, as we call them, into areas where there's been Bigfoot sightings and activity so they could get an idea of what it's like to be out there researching for Bigfoot. And surprisingly, it's been overwhelmingly successful in the last couple of years that we've done it. It's grown in popularity. So it's basically taking the novice or somebody who just has an interest in Bigfoot, taking them out in the forest with us, letting them do some Bigfoot researching on their own, letting them do the whooping and calling, the wood knocking, practicing making a plaster cast, hearing from other researchers who are sharing the evidence and sharing the information that they've collected over the years. So it's, it's a hands-on weekend for anybody who wants to come camp with us. And, and all the money that we raise goes to local charities. Now, is the average Bigfoot 
fan or someone who looks into it is this just like a little hobby like we, we keep mentioning the flat earthers but when it comes to flat earthers that's a major part of their day their entire day is like studying the flat earth are people like that with bigfoot or is it just kind of like a little hobby there are some those uh, in the field that are obsessed it's 24 7 364 365 if not longer. And it's caused divorces. It's taken over people's lives. It, it, it can really take over your life if you let it. And there are people who've let it. I've been at this for a long time. Obviously, it, it is an obsession of mine, but I don't let it become every day with me. I'm going out tonight, as a matter of fact, after the podcast, uh, some buddies and I are going out to an area with known activity. And we're going to we're going to research and, and, you know, we have our, our thermal flitter cameras out and night vision scopes and audio recording equipment out and, and hopefully we'll come back with something. But, you know, I go out once a week where other people are out there three or four times a week. And so it depends on the time that you have uh, your, if your spouse is understanding enough to let you do it, your family's understanding enough <laughs> to let you do it. Your job is understanding enough to let you do it. There's a lot involved with it. And there are different levels of people. Some it's to a, a small hobby while others it's a, a lifetime's work. Yeah, I have a question. Well, I have something to say, Joe. <laughs> what? Okay since, okay, since, you know, the Sasquatch, the Bigfoot originated from Native American folklore, and a lot of the sightings are around reservations. What if it's just a, a Native American tribe that we don't know about, and they're in their authentic headdress, and that's what people mistake them to be as a Bigfoot. They're, they're just in their cultural dress and they're just living out in the wilderness i don't necessarily think that's the case in most of the bigfoot sightings because they're occurring in areas that are populated areas and it's unlikely that a tribe could survive in an area without being discovered and some of these sightings are so close and have such great detail to them it's hard to mistake a primate looking creature versus a native american in a headdress or a costume People have seen the the facial detail, the expressions. People even claim they've seen the eyes blinking and moving. And, and a lot of the creature descriptions are much larger than the size of a typical human. Anywhere from 7 to 12 to 13 feet in height, weighing upwards of 500 to 1,000 pounds, extremely muscular, dwarfing the size of typical humans. So... I can't rule that possibility out that there might be some indigenous tribes running around that we don't know of, but where these sightings are taking place, it's highly unlikely because the, the tribes would have been discovered by now. What like sort of information do you have about the Sasquatch? Do, would, would a Sasquatch, would they live in groups? Is it a, a solitary beast? What, what sort of info and have you a research have you come up with and, and is there stuff you could kind of talk about in terms of that well we've learned a lot over the years as far as um social behaviors and dietary behaviors and just in general about the creature um answer to your question about if they're solitary or they, they live in family groups there have been sighting reports of family groups a male and female parental type of animal and then smaller offspring that have been seen together normally the the sightings are of one lone individual that's sighted either crossing the road or seen fleeing through the woods quickly or standing just outside the light of a campfire in the tree line. Those are your typical sightings that, that occur. So those are the majority of, of sightings. Behavior-wise, they, they appear to be uh, more docile, 
and curious of, of human interaction and behavior and what we do rather than aggressive, although there are rare cases of them being aggressive when their territories encroached upon or their food sources encroached upon, or even if there's young involved, they might be protecting their young. So they're going to be a little more defensive and territorial and aggressive. Dietary behavior, they've been thought to eat a diet consisting of, I call them opportunists, whatever they can get their hands on to eat, they'll eat because they've been seen around water bodies, rivers, lakes, streams, oceans, eating fish, eating fruits and berries, vegetables, even domesticated animals. They've, they've been seen eating whatever they can, even garbage dumps, they've been seen foraging for food. So we call them um, opportunists or omnivore, if you will. They'll eat whatever they can get a hold of. And if these animals truly do exist, which I, I think there's something to this phenomenon, they, they would need a high caloric diet to sustain that size. If there are any or the people who describe them 500 to 1500 pounds, you know, you need thousands of calories a day to be healthy. And in order to remain healthy, they've got to be constantly foraging for food, eating whatever they can, whether it's bugs and insects, berries, fruits, nuts, vegetables, cats, dogs, deer, porcupine, whatever, raccoons, whatever they can get their hands on that they're going to eat. But a bear yeah. on its hind legs can look like uh, Bigfoot, right? That not, picture that we just saw. <laughs> not necessarily, because the case is, that's a perfect example. If you're looking at that, that has two ears on the top of its head. It has a snout. Its arms only hang down to about its waist, where the Bigfoot sightings state that this thing has no ears. The ears, if they are seen, are on the side of its head. It doesn't have a pronounced snout like a bear would. The face is rather flat. The nose is flat. And the arms usually hang down below its its knees. So when people see this and they get a good look at it, they can definitively tell you it was not a bear. Listen, bears generally don't walk on two legs. Now, so this is somewhere between, to me, it sounds like it's got the appetite of a bear, but the basic foundation of a gorilla of some sort, or, or like you said, a primate or an ape of some sort, because chimpanzees are, are bipedal. They walk on two with ease. I watched a lot of videos of chimps and other monkeys. Sometimes they'll cross a river and some of them will use their hands. Some of them don't want to get their hands wet. And as you said, at that size, I would think most of the day that they're probably eating, again, with most species, the mother hunts. In some species, mother and father, maybe both out there hunting, they're bringing food back to this all jives. And, and look, mom and dad need to get all that sustenance if they're going to be able to take care of their offspring. And so, yeah, you would think there would be a lot of I mean, lions it's, that's all they do they sleep they get up they eat and then they go back to sleep so they can go up and, and wake up in the middle of the night to eat again that's pretty much all it is so again this all sort of falls in line jedi with if there were this all jives out to what i think you would expect yeah and now i would probably have a couple more questions before we let eric go uh bigfoot hunting but i i do want to play that 911 call from the 90s in washington because that's so believable Yeah, he's right. Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, God, he's big. 
What do you know about that, Eric? You know that one, right? Yeah, I'm familiar with that call, yes. It said 2009, the clip, but I think it was more like 1992 or something in Washington. Yeah, it's an older clip. Oh, oh there's Jedi's uh, cuckoo clock. Yeah, <laughs> perfect timing as usual. <laughs> Eric, is, it, is that real? Did that guy see that, or is he is he full of it? No, that's a, that's a real 911 recording. Nobody knows exactly who made it or exactly where it came from. It was Washington State, from what I recall. But, yeah, nobody knows the exact person who made the call. But he sounds like he's sh- he shook up. He definitely saw yeah. something in his yard. And that's an interesting side fact is when I interview and talk to a lot of these eyewitnesses who have had a sighting, most of them have seen something traumatic they never expected to see, didn't think was real. They heard about it being a myth or a legend, and they have their sighting. And it, it affects them traumatically and emotionally. And some of these people, it takes years for them to get over it. Some of them become so obsessed with what they saw and want to know what they saw that they become Bigfoot researchers and they spend the rest of their lives looking for answers. And others, when they recount what they saw, they, their hands shake, their eyes well up with tears, their body language shows that they experienced something traumatic. And there's no denying that they saw something. And you just can't fake that when you have something that, like that happen to you. I can't imagine, Jedi, somebody would, would say... <laughs> This happened to me, and you would discount it completely. Doesn't seem. I like would that not discount it. <laughs> <laughs> but Eric, is it true that a lot of people who've seen or or experienced the Bigfoot that there's this strong, distinct odor? Um, like it smells like skunk, rotting animal corpses in garbage. So there's this distinct smell that they 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 experience. Not in all sighting cases, no, um, surprisingly. There are some cases where people describe smelling something horrible. Now, primates do have a defense mechanism of glands that put off this really strong odor, and it's, it's to drive other animals away or to scare them off. We, we theorize to speculate that possibly Bigfoot has that same defense mechanism. And the, the smells have been described from really strong musky odor, wet dog, fecal matter, decaying flesh, rotting carcass, that sort of thing. And in some cases, there are odors described that, that they, they happen to, to notice with, when they're having their sighting, but not all cases. There have been many, many cases where people don't notice a smell or anything like that. So we, we don't know if that truly is what the Bigfoot gives off or if, in fact, it, like a typical animal, when it gets wet from the rain, it smells like a wet animal. Or if it's in the rutting season, it has that musky odor that it gives off, That's that pheromone scent that it gives off. We, we just don't know. But um, I do know that primates have a defense mechanism. They have glands that that put off a really putrid smell that drives other animals away. So if it is a primate, also, that's maybe what we're dealing with. I would also imagine if you eat a skunk, that <laughs> you're probably not gonna. Your breath is gonna be pretty rank afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, pass on I, that. I wanted to mention. A, yeah, I wanted. To, <laughs> I wanted to mention a couple other pop culture things. But Jedi, before that, do you have any other questions for Eric? Yes, I do. Um, all these other organizations and yourself. If, when you guys find Bigfoot, what is the end goal? Like, I mean, all these science organizations, are they just going to capture it and do experiments on it or, you know, test it? I, I just, if that's the case, I don't want you want these science people to find Bigfoot. I would rather have him live off, him or her live off by itself in peace. What is the end goal for all these hunts? Well, the sad fact of the matter is that we need a live or dead specimen to prove that the animal does exist. 
And that means either harvesting one or getting lucky enough to find an animal that just died recently in the forest or is hit by a car. So we do need one to categorize it and to prove it is an animal that does truly exist. Once that happens, that animal can be placed on the endangered species list and protected, given its own habitat to, to keep it safe and, and prevent others from going out there and shooting it. So one animal to protect the remaining of the species, that's a sacrifice that has to be made. And I'm not a, a kill person. I don't go out with weapons trying to hunt one of these things down and shoot it. I'm hoping one day one of these gets clobbered by a logging truck or you know, they find an animal in the forest dead where they can take it in and study it, dissect it, or even capture a live one so they can study its habits and everything and that before setting it free. But we need a live specimen to, to study, to learn about, to understand what this thing is, and then we can protect it and put it on an endangered species list or whatever needs to be done to make sure the species survives. That is going to be an awesome the- Disney movie, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, what do you think the public's reaction to something like that would be if it was caught and it was on the news? Do you think people would no big deal or go crazy or think it's cool? Or 20 years ago, I would say the public would probably freak out and think, oh, my yeah. God, there's there's a monster. Oh, my God, it's real. Now it, it, it's so commonplace. It's in pop culture. It, it's like the UFO phenomenon. Everybody's uh, hey, this is a UFO. No big deal. Oh, the government knows about UFOs. See, we told you, no big deal. So I think that's what would happen now if, if Bigfoot was truly discovered and, and you know put on display, if you will, or the scientific community come out and admitted it, these things are real, it would be no big deal. It'd be just like, oh, another animal. Okay, we yeah. just got to stay away from this area if we want to avoid it. I don't think it would be as a big a deal as it would have been 20 years ago. So a few of the things in pop culture um, with Bigfoot is the movie Harry and the Hendersons, and then they had a TV series. Uh, the Supersonics mascot, I think, or I said earlier, was Squatch. The Ford Bronco, Joe, if you can buy the basic version, you can do a little upgrade. And then the big version of the uh, the Ford Bronco now, when you get all the amenities, is the Sasquatch. I love it. The, the big tires and everything. There's been songs, video games. It's a popular Halloween costume. And Joe, do you have, um, do you have the clip of the flashlight? Yep. Eric, I've been working with someone on this new flashlight. It's shaped like a cell phone, and I'm making a little infomercial, and I use Joe as a voiceover. So, Joe, play. I think Eric might like this clip. The Super Strike is great for anything outdoors, like camping, hiking, boating, and making shadow puppets. Hunters also love the Super Strike, whether you're up early hunting ducks, deer, or trying to become the next YouTube star. It's another episode of Squatch Watch. The Super Strike is the flashlight for you. (laughs) I thought it'd be funny to throw a a Bigfoot clip in there. That's that's cool. But you might need that flashlight. It has a pretty good beam to catch Bigfoot. So what's the deal? Yeah. So what's the deal tonight? You going with your buddies? How far of a ride is it? Where where do you go? Um, I live. Pretty close to a uh, uh, western edge of the Allegheny Mountains, so I'm only about 45 minute drive, and we we go into an area that has had repeated sightings and activity and, and encounters, and we drive about a mile and a half, two miles off the the main, well the the dirt road that goes into this game lands, and we set up a perimeter and a little base camp. We set up our equipment, and we have thermals, night vision, um, we have uh, bionic ears, we set up parabolic mics. Um, that's kind of stuff to hopefully catch some kind of sound or something in the forest that we can, uh, share with other researchers to get their feedback on. It's not going to prove the animal exists, but 
hopefully we can get some good data and evidence when we're out. Now on your website, you can submit a sighting. When they do that, do you look into it or if it's near you, how does that work? Yeah, if somebody submits a sighting report and it's in Pennsylvania, we forward it off to the closest investigator who in turn will contact the eyewitness and request a face-to-face interview. Uh, That way we can tell if they truly had a sighting or not. We can read their emotions, body language, et cetera, like I talked about earlier. Um, And hopefully they'll take us to the location where the sighting occurred so we can see the area for ourselves. We can look for evidence. We can do a historical background check on the area to see if there's been any sightings in the area, uh, historical sightings, and we can continue to monitor it for any future activity. Um, so yes, we do, we do investigate those cases as they come in. We've gotten hundreds of them over the years. Wow. So ericaltman.net is where people can contact you, right? For anything. Yeah, that's my website, ericaltman.net and pabigfoot.com is the organization, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society that I run. Okay. So Jedi, I know your answer to this. I'm not going to ask you, but Joe, you, you got to pick one aliens or Bigfoot. Bigfoot all day. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aliens. Jedi, you'd be aliens, right? No, I would go Big- for Bigfoot versus aliens. <laughs> oh. <Uh-oh. laughs> Love it. Uh, all right. I think that's it. Check us out. Uh, Clovercrestmedia.com, Facebook, Crimes, Conspiracies, and Beyond. Uh, thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks, thanks for, for having me, joining us. Yeah, nice thanks for the great questions you. tonight. Good luck on the hunt. I hope you find them. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, keep in touch. All right, guys. That's it, Mark's The End is here. You can check us out at Crimes, Conspiracies, and Beyond, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, Clovercrest Media. Thanks to Eric Altman, and keep a watchful eye.